Good afternoon, everyone. In today's sermon, I want to continue our discussion of the history of apostasy. This is part six in our series. In part five, I discussed how apostasy began to take root among people professing to be Christians from very early in the history of the New Testament church. Today, I want to discuss in particular what happened among professing Christians regarding the Passover in the centuries following the New Testament era. The controversy over the Passover lasted for centuries and is regarded as a major controversy in the history of the church. It's often called the Quarto Deciman Controversy. The word Quarto Deciman is from the Latin for the 14th, as the Passover was originally celebrated on the 14th of the month as the Bible instructs. And as I mentioned, that controversy lasted for centuries, and actually, the controversy has never ended because it is a matter of men defying God as regards what defines Christian doctrinal practices particularly in regard to the Passover. Paul gave detailed instructions to the Gentile Corinthian church regarding how to properly keep the Passover. Detailed, specific instructions on how and when it was to be kept. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Beginning with verse 17, we won't take the time to read it right now, but there you will find the ordinance of the new covenant Passover, which is also discussed in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 17 and other scriptures. In the same context, Paul wrote to the Corinthians concerning the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which immediately follows on the heels of the Passover. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, again, remember this was written to a Greek church, Greek-speaking people, a Greek mostly of a Gentile descent, Greek descent for the most part, although Corinth was actually a port city and had many people from all over the place there, including some Jews as well as uh, Gentiles. But Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8, he said, let us keep the feast. And he's talking about the feast of unleavened bread. Now this, let us keep, the, let us keep is from oratazo, which is, in the form of a hortatory subjunctive in the Greek, which means it is an exhortation. It is an exhortation to do something, virtually a command. In this case, to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And again, this letter was written to Gentile Christians primarily. So it's clear that Paul gave them instructions 
to keep the Passover that the church at that time under the apostles kept the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread in accordance with the command in Leviticus 23, beginning with verse 4 and, and other scriptures, except the portion pertaining uniquely to the service of the physical tabernacle. They, of course, did not offer lambs for the Passover in Corinth or other similar places, which could only be offered lawfully in Jerusalem at the temple in any case, but they partook instead of the symbols of unleavened bread and wine, which were given renewed meaning, added meaning by Jesus Christ's sacrifice. The historical record is clear on this point. The apostolic New Testament church continued to keep the Passover annually after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was not only Jewish Christians, but Gentiles also who kept the Passover. Note the following remarks from the Protestant church historian J.K.L. Giesler. And this is from his A Textbook of Church History. published in 1857. And uh, this uh, historian says, quote, in the Christian assemblies, the Jewish Passover was at first kept up, but observed with reference to Christ, the true Passover. Thus, John 2 and he's speaking here of the Apostle John, John too found it in Ephesus and allowed it to remain unaltered. Now, notice what this Protestant church historian is admitting here. He's saying that the Passover during the apostolic era was kept in, in uh, a manner similar to the way the Jews kept it, but observed with reference to, the, to Christ, the true Passover. And when John uh, located himself to Ephesus, which is another Greek city in Asia Minor, where he stayed for a period of time, up to the time of his death, I believe, that uh, it was being kept there clear up to the time of the death of John, which was right close to the end of the first century. Now, that uh, church in Ephesus had long since been established by the Apostle Paul when John came there. Paul had remained in Ephesus and ministered to that predominantly Gentile church for more than two years, as we read in Acts chapter 19. And Paul had taught the Christians there to keep the Passover in accordance with Scripture. And it was not the Jewish Passover, as Gessler said, referred to it, 
that they were keeping, but it was the Lord's Passover. The Passover is never referred to in the Bible anywhere as the Jewish Passover. But it is referred to many times as the Lord's Passover. Or the Passover of the Lord or Passover to the Lord. In the Old Testament, for example, in Exodus 12, verse 11, it says, Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I may come to think of it, there may be one, one or two instances in the New Testament where it is referred to as the Jews' Passover. I'll have to... I'll check that out later, but for the most part, it's referred to as the Lord's Passover throughout the Scriptures. I guess uh, Giesler goes on to comment that John in his Gospel account, quote, made it apparent that Christ was crucified on the 14th of Nisan. And he further states, quote, if the 14th of Nisan was the true Christian Passover day, the fulfillment of the typical Pasch or Passover took place on the same day with it. Now notice what he's saying here. He is saying that it is perfectly clear from John's gospel that Christ was crucified on the 14th of Nisan, not the 15th as was later taught and as many continue to teach today but he was crucified on the 14th. And he says, if the 14th was the true Christian Passover day, which it was, the fulfillment of the typical Passover took place on the same day with it. In other words, Christ's crucifixion was the fulfillment of what the Passover symbolized. And it occurred also on the 14th of Nisan. Giesler comments that the churches in Asia Minor where Paul, Peter, John, and some of the other apostles personally ministered were continuing to keep the Passover in the second century. And Giesler states, quote, concerning the Passover, he says, quote, in it they ate unleavened bread, probably like the Jews, eight days through. They ate unleavened bread, he says, eight days through. And he goes on to quote Chrysostom, who wrote about what the Christians in Asia Minor said about why they ate unleavened bread for eight days. Because they were still doing this in the days of Chrysostom, I believe that was in the 5th century, 5th or 6th century. And they, the, the reason that they gave for doing that is because, quoting again from, from uh, Chrysostom in this case, 
because the Feast of Unleavened Bread is with or accompanies the Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread accompanies the Passover. And on the Passover, unleavened bread was to be eaten. And for seven days during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, unleavened bread was to be eaten. So unleavened bread was to be eaten during the Passover season for a total of eight days during the festival period. The Passover was to be eaten with unleavened bread on the day of the Passover, and unleavened bread was to be eaten exclusively, that is exclusive of anything leavened, for seven days during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, more information regarding the Passover in the early church is provided in some detail in chapters 9 and 10 of our free publication, When is the Biblical Passover? And that publication can be downloaded free of charge at our website, cogmessenger.org, or it can be, you can ask for a printed copy and we can mail you a printed copy of it. And much of what follows in this sermon is taken from that particular source, the, the book, When is the Christian, or When is the Biblical Passover? The practice of keeping a Christian Passover on the 14th of Nisan continued in the east, that is in Asia Minor and other parts of Asia, where there were congregations of the Church of God for several centuries after the New Testament era. In the second century in the West, however, a growing apostasy engulfed the church and the Sunday Easter service, as it, became, as it came to be called eventually, it wasn't called the Easter service at first, it was called the uh, uh, Pesach or Passover at first, but uh, later came to be called Easter. But it was kept on Sunday, and many pagan influences were adopted into the keeping of that custom. And it supplanted the Passover among most congregations that were that professed to be Christian. Nevertheless, it's widely acknowledged among Bible scholars and historians that the Easter tradition was not widely practiced before the second century. In other words, it was not practiced, at least not to any extent, during the era of the apostles. It says in the Encyclopedia Britannica, Quote, the earliest Christians celebrated the Lord's Passover at the same time as the Jews. By the middle of the second century, most churches had transferred this celebration to the Sunday after the Jewish feast. So sometime in the second century, that the Sunday, so-called Passover, replaced the Passover of the Bible. 
in the New Grolier Multimedia Encyclopedia, we read this, quote, in the second century, the Christian Passover celebration was transferred to the Sunday following the 14-15 Nisan, if that day fell on a weekday. So these are a couple of sources. There are many others that you could consult that tell us that the Passover was kept roughly at the same time the Jews kept it until sometime in the second century in most Christian churches. Now, when these uh, scholars or sources tell us that they kept the Passover on the 14th, 15th of Nisan, like the Pharisees and the majority of the Jews who followed their lead, uh, they're making an assumption. Really, the church kept the Passover on the 14th, not on the 15th. They kept it on the 14th as the day began in the evening. The Jewish Christian leaders of Palestine kept the Passover on the 14th until the remnants of the original apostolic church were driven out with the other Jews after the Bar Kokhba revolt in 135 AD when the, the Romans uh, let, uh, reduced the city to rebel and forbade any Jews to enter what had formerly been Jerusalem. And that included members of the Church of God who were in, uh, in that area mostly Jews. Epiphanius of Salamis, in arguing against a sect he called Audians, wrote of them that, quote, they choose to celebrate the Passover with the Jews. This is a, a, a group of uh, Christians that he called Audians. I'm not sure what that's term is derived from, but here, here are people several centuries after Christ celebrating the Passover with the Jews, meaning not on the same day as the Jews, but once a year at the Passover season according to the Hebrew calendar. And he goes on to say concerning this custom of celebrating the Passover at the same time as the Jews Indeed, it is true that this used to be the church's custom. He goes on to explain that confusion and disagreement over the Passover observance, quote, has been the situation ever since the church was thrown into disorder after the time of the circumcised, uh, the time of the circumcised bishops of Jerusalem. So what he's saying is that the church pretty much universally kept the Passover on the 14th of Nisan until after 135 AD when the church was driven out of uh, Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders were replaced by Gentiles. Epiphanius 
goes on to write, quote, there were altogether 15 bishops from the circumcision, that is, they were Jews, and at that time when the circumcised bishops were consecrated at Jerusalem, it was essential that the whole world follow and celebrate with them so that there would be one concord and agreement, the celebration of one festival, end quote. After the Jewish revolt, the circumcised leaders at Jerusalem were replaced by apostate Christians of Gentile origin who rejected the Passover and substituted the Easter Sunday tradition. And although it may have originated elsewhere after its adoption in Palestine, this apostasy gained added momentum and was especially strong in North Africa and Rome. Rome thence used its influence to persuade nominal Christians in other areas to abandon the Passover in favor of the Easter Sunday observance. And while churches in the West succumbed to the pressure and adopted what later came to be called Easter Sunday in place of the Passover in the second century, churches in Asia resisted. Eusebius, who uh, lived from 260 to 340 AD, wrote of events occurring in the last decade of the se second century, and he says, the parishes of all Asia, which, uh, which in, in uh, this context, is referring to Western Asia Minor. The parishes of all Asia is from an older tradition held that the 14th day of the moon on which day the Jews were commanded to sacrifice the lamb should be observed as the feast of the Savior's Passover. So notice this is near the end of the second century and Eusebius says that the churches in Asia specifically referring probably to Western Asia Minor, but it would include a number of other uh, areas in Asia where there were churches as well. <clears throat> and he says that from an older, older tradition, they were keeping the Passover on the 14th day of the month. And this is from Eusebius Ecclesiastical History. Churches elsewhere in the East were also holding fast to the Passover. Athanasius, who lived from 290 to 373 A.D., wrote that the Council of Nicaea, which occurred in 325 A.D., was summoned in part because, quote, they of Syria, Cilicia, and Mesopotamia differed from us and kept the Passover feast at the same season as the Jews. Now, Syria, Cilicia, and Mesopotamia cover a considerable area, and uh, all, of, all of these place, uh, places named here are in Asia. The historical record indicates that until the Council of Nicaea, as 
Socrates Scholasticus writes in his ecclesiastical history, uh, he says, in Asia Minor, this is quoting, in Asia Minor, most people kept the 14th day of the moon, but others in the East kept that feast on the Sabbath indeed, but differed as regards the month. The Sabbath here is referring to what they, by that time, were calling the Sabbath, which was not the true Sabbath, but Sunday. <clears throat> in Asia Minor, most people kept the 14th day of the moon, but others in the East kept that feast on Sunday, but differed as regards the month. That the majority of churches in the East kept the 14th Passover until the Council of Nicaea is further evidenced by Constantine's letter to the churches on that subject, where he states, quote, it, that is the Easter Sunday observance in place of Passover, it is a becoming order which all the churches in the western, southern, and northern parts of the world observe, and some places in the east also. So this is around 325 A.D. where it is stated that only in some places in the east was Sunday being kept as the, quote, Passover. Now, it's interesting that the areas holding most tenaciously to the biblical Christian Passover were among those where the apostles spent a more of their time probably than any other part of the world. This is where Paul and Peter spent a great deal of their time, as well as other New Testament era apostles. This is where they had been most active. And this belies the false claim made by some that the Easter Sunday tradition opposing the Passover is somehow linked to Peter and Paul. Paul and Barnabas were based in Syrian Antioch and spent much time there, as you can read in the book of Acts. Paul also evangelized in Cilicia, which is in southeastern Asia Minor and spent ample time in proconsular Asia, which is Western Asia Minor. The Zondervan NIV Atlas of the Bible says, quote, Paul spent three years ministering in Ephesus to the Jews first, but also to the Greeks. Ephesus is a city in Asia Minor. And it is very probable that he or his converts carried the gospel message to additional cities in Asia Certainly many of the churches in the Asian cities addressed by John in the first three chapters of Revelation, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea were founded and or nurtured by Paul. All of these cities are in Asia Minor. And probably all of them were ministered to by Paul. Peter's first, first epistle was written from Babylon in Mesopotamia to Israelite Christians in portions of Asia Minor where descendants of Israelite tribes were numerous at the time. As you can read in 1 Peter 5 verse 13 and 1 Peter 1 verses 1 and 2, it tells us where Peter was and 
to whom he was writing. And these were people uh, who were Israelite Christians in portions of Asia Minor up toward the Black Sea area where many of the Israelite tribes had settled at that time. Besides Peter and Paul, several other apostles were active in the above-mentioned regions associated with keeping the Christian Passover well into the 4th century. And these include Andrew, who ministered in northern Asia Minor, Thomas, who ministered in Syria, Philip, who ministered in Phrygia, which is in uh, western Asia Minor, and Thaddeus, who ministered in Syria. And finally, by no means least, was John, who, as we mentioned, spent his latter years in Asia, and according to tradition, that is in Asia Minor, and according to tradition, John died in Ephesus. Later, leaders in the area traced their practice of keeping the Passover on the 14th of the first month, partly to the influence of John, the last of the original apostles to die. When a controversy arose in the matter of Passover observance in the last decade of the second century, Irenaeus wrote to Victor, Bishop of Rome, who had sought to excommunicate churches of Asia and elsewhere because of their keeping of the Passover on the 14th of Nisan. Irenaeus had been trained by Polycarp, who was a leading minister in Asia following the apostolic era. Polycarp had been trained by John and other apostles, was ordained by them, and became the leader of the Church of God after the death of John. Irenaeus had gone on after being trained by Polycarp to become a pastor in Gaul, which is where what we call France now. And although he himself had followed the general apostasy in rejecting the Passover in favor of Easter Sunday, he wrote letters to Victor, the bishop in Rome, and others defending the right of churches to observe the Passover in peace. In his letter to Victor, Irenaeus recounts an earlier dispute which had occurred in around 154 A.D. involving Polycarp and Anesitus, who was at that time the pastor in Rome. And between the Roman bishop Anesitus and Polycarp, there was a dispute regarding the Passover. Irenaeus wrote this, quote, for neither could Anesitus persuade Polycarp not to observe what he had always observed with John, the apostle, or the disciple of our Lord, and the other apostles with whom he had associated. Now notice that Irenaeus tells us that Polycarp had observed the Passover with John and other apostles. whom he had served with as a minister. Going on, he writes, quoting, Neither could Polycarp persuade Anesitus to observe it as he said that he ought to follow the customs 
of the presbyters that had preceded him. End quote. Now it's revealing in this account that the Roman bishop Anicetus does not defend the Easter Sunday tradition on the basis of apostolic teaching, nor does he defend it on the basis of Scripture, but rather on a custom handed down to him by his predecessors in Rome. In the same account, Eusebius quotes Irenaeus, naming only Anicetus' predecessors Sixtus, who according to some accounts was the fifth pastor of the Roman church after Linus, who was reputed to be the first ordained to that office by the apostles. And then came uh, Telesphorus, Hagenius, and Pius, following Sixtus, who rejected the Passover. Now, on the other hand, Polycarp and Polycrates, near the end of the, the, uh, the second century, based their defense on keeping the Passover on the 14th directly on the teaching and example of the original apostles of Jesus. And Eusebius admits that the latter is the older tradition, is the original manner in which the Passover was kept. Polycrates, the, leaders, the leader of the churches in Asia near the end of the second century, wrote a, a letter to Victor and said this, quote, We observe the exact day, neither adding nor taking away, for in Asia also great lights have fallen asleep, which will rise again on the day of the Lord's coming, when he shall come with glory from heaven and seek out all the saints. Among these are Philip, one of the twelve apostles, who fell asleep in Herapolis, which is a city in Asia Minor, and his two aged virgin daughters and another daughter who lived in the Holy Spirit and now rests at Ephesus. And moreover, John, who is both a witness and a teacher who reclined on the bosom of the Lord, and being a priest wore the sacerdotal plate, he fell asleep at Ephesus and Polycarp in Smyrna, who was a bishop and martyr and Thracius, bishop and martyr from Eumenia, who fell asleep in Smyrna. Why need I mention the bishop and martyr Sagarius, who fell asleep in Laodicea, or the blessed Papyrus or Melito, the eunuch who lived altogether in the Holy Spirit and who lies in Sardis? awaiting the episcopate from heaven when he shall rise from the dead. All these observe the 14th day of the Passover according to the gospel, deviating in no respect but following the rule of faith. And I also, Polycrates, the least of you all, do according to the tradition of my relatives, some of whom I have closely followed, for seven of my relatives were bishops and I am the eighth, and my relatives always observed the day when the people put away the leaven. I therefore, brethren, who have lived 65 years in the Lord and have met with the brethren throughout the world and have gone through every holy scripture, am not affrighted by terrifying words, 
for those greater than I have said we ought to obey God rather than man. And then Eusebius continues, after quoting Polycrates, Eusebius writes, quote, He then writes of all the bishops who were present with him and thought as he did. His words are as follows, again quoting Polycrates, I could mention the bishops who were present, whom I summoned at your desire, whose names should I write them, would constitute a great multitude. And they, beholding my littleness, gave their consent to the letter, knowing that I did not bear my gray hairs in vain, but had always governed my life by the Lord Jesus. So what Polycrates is saying here is that it wasn't just he, but other, many other leaders in Asia Minor were backing him up on his position concerning the Passover. Now, those who kept the Passover on the 14th were labeled as heretics by Victor of Rome and by others. Hippolytus of Rome, who lived in 170 A.D. to 236, also labeled as heretics, the Quartodecimans. He says that they maintain, quote, that Easter, Easter or Passover, as it, it uh, actually wasn't called Easter at that time, and it's not in the original Greek as Easter, it's as Pesach or Passover, that uh, Easter or Passover should be kept on the 14th day of the first month according to the commandment of the law on whatever day of the week it should occur. That's what being a quarter deciman meant. That it meant keeping the Passover on the 14th day of the month. And then he goes on to assert that the Passover was only for the Jews and states that among Gentiles, quote, it is not now observed in the letter. However, the truth is that many places the Passover was still being observed on the 14th by Gentile Christians. In fact, most of the places where the Passover was being observed on the 14th at that time, if not all of them, were in Gentile areas. The Jews basically had been driven out of Palestine and, and uh, there probably were not very many Christians living in that area at all at that time. But there were large areas in Asia, in Asia, both Asia proper and Asia minor, where the Passover was being kept by Christians, predominantly Gentile Christians, on the 14th. Now he says of the quarter decimans, quote, in other respects, these consent to all the traditions delivered to the church by the apostles. In other respects, these consent to all the traditions delivered to the church by the apostles. Now that is truly an ironic statement 
because there's nothing in the Bible about the Passover being kept on Sundays as a rule, and there is nothing in the history of the apostles, nothing that, uh, that uh, implies that any of the apostles kept the Passover on any other day than the 14th of Nisan. They not only kept it on, the, on that day, but they gave detailed instructions on how it was to be kept. And it was not according to the manner in which it was being kept by the Sunday Passover or Easter tradition. The statement of Hippolytus uh, uh, is... a classic example of how the teachings and practices of Jesus Christ and the apostles were first abandoned, then vilified and ultimately labeled heresy among the majority of professing Christians in the centuries following the apostolic age. Another example is the literal return of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to, to reign on the earth, which is one of the central themes of the prophets and of the New Testament. The historian Edward Gibbon comments on this discussing the beliefs of the primitive church where he says, quote, the ancient and popular doctrine of the millennium was intimately connected with the second coming of Christ. As the works of creation had been finished in six days, their duration and their present state according to a tradition which was attributed to the prophet Elijah was fixed to 6,000 years. By the same analogy, it was inferred that this long period of labor and contention, which was now almost elapsed, would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a thousand years, and that Christ with the triumphant band, a triumphant band of the saints and the elect who had escaped death or had been miraculously revived, would reign upon earth till the time appointed for the last general resurrection, end quote. So this is, according to Gibbon, this is what the church believed during the era of the apostles, that uh, Jesus Christ would literally return to the earth and at the time of the first resurrection and establish his kingdom on the earth and rule the earth. However, Gibbon goes on to explain as the first few centuries of the after the apostolic era wore on, he says, quote, the doctrine of Christ's reign upon earth was at first treated as a profound allegory, was considered by degrees as a doubtful and useless opinion, and was at length rejected as the absurd invention of heresy and fanaticism. End quote. So notice the teaching of the Bible concerning the coming of Jesus Christ and the establishing of his kingdom on the earth, which was admittedly believed and taught by the early church, was after a few centuries treated as heresy and fanaticism. 
And this is only one, along with the Passover, of the doctrines of the church that were rejected by the professing Christian church over a period of several centuries as the church succumbed to the pressures of persecution in the world's pagan culture. One after the other of biblical doctrines were abandoned and then labeled heresy in favor of man-made traditions, adopting beliefs and practices from various pagan idolatrous systems. And you could go down a whole list of doctrines, the Sabbath, the uh, immortal soul, the idea of going to heaven or hell after you die, and many others as well. In 325 AD, the Emperor Constantine convoked an assembly of bishops in Nicaea and Bithynia to bring the professing church into harmony with regard to the Passover-Easter controversy. The controversy was between those in the East who asserted that the Jewish custom should be adhered to, and others who kept what eventually came to be called Easter Sunday. Also were variations in how Easter Sunday itself should be determined and how it should be observed. And this is all documented by Eusebius, among others, in uh, the life of Constantine and other sources. The council under Constantine's leadership agreed that it was, quote, an unworthy thing that in the celebration of this most holy feast, we should follow the practice of the Jews, end quote. He declared, quote, let us then have nothing in common with the detestable Jewish crowd, end quote. So notice the pretext for abandoning the biblical teaching regarding the Passover was because it was associated with the Jews and they hated the Jews. Which tells you a lot about their attitude and uh, how deep their alleged Christianity went. It was decreed that the Passover should be abandoned wherever it was kept and that the Roman custom of Easter Sunday should be followed by Christians everywhere. This was decreed by Constantine, the Roman emperor. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the term Easter in place of the Greek or Latin word Pascha did not become popular until sometime after Eusebius wrote, even though it's usually translated into the word Easter in English translations of Eusebius. But the Sunday keeping service being observed in place of Passover really cannot properly be called Pascha or Passover either since it bears virtually no resemblance to the true biblical observance of Passover. When the English monk Bede wrote a treatise on called The Reckoning of Time in the early 8th century, the use of the term Easter in connection with the Sunday observance that had replaced the Passover was already a long-established tradition among the English 
professing Christians. Bede wrote the following in his treatise, The Reckoning of Time, quote, Easter, mon uh, Easter monoth, or Easter month is what it's referring to. It's old English. Easter monoth has a name which is now translated Paschal month, which was once called after a goddess of theirs named Easter, in whose honor feasts were celebrated in that month. Now they designate that Paschal season by her name, calling the joys of the new rite by the time-honored honored name of the old observance. So, first of all, they perverted the Passover, changed it into a completely different kind of observance, and then they started calling it Easter after the name of a pagan goddess instead of Passover. But it wasn't just the name that was borrowed from paganism. Many of the popular customs associated with Easter, such as colored eggs, the Easter bunny, hot cross buns, and others were adopted from pagan traditions, as nearly everyone acknowledges. For example, in the Encyclopedia Americana, we read this statement, quote, the word Easter is derived from the North Norse Ostra, or Easter, meaning the festival of spring at the vernal equinox, March 21st, when nature is in resurrection after winter. Hence the rabbits, notable for their fecundity, and the eggs, colored like the rays of the returning sun, in the northern lights or aurora borealis, the Greek myth Demeter and Persephone with its Latin counterpart Ceres and Persephone conveys the idea of a goddess returning seasonally from the nether regions to the light of day, end quote. The professor in the School of Catholic Theology at Tilburg University a man named Dr. Gerhard A.M. Rohorst wrote in a document called The Apostolic Age in Patristic Thought the following, quote, The observance of the Christian Passover played a central part in the life of early Christian communities and it is highly illustrative of their religious beliefs. Furthermore, celebrating it in the right way was considered by many early Christians as vital to their identity. Second, during the first three or four centuries, it underwent remarkable development. End quote. Now notice how, he, how delicately he, he states this. The Passover during the first three or four centuries underwent remarkable development. In other words, it was completely changed from the Passover to something else entirely different. It was altered to a form unrecognizable in comparison to the biblical Passover. He goes on to say, quote, it is quite generally agreed now that the oldest form of Christian Passover 
was the one celebrated by the quartodecimans. This group, however, would end up becoming a marginal minority. Now notice what this Roman Catholic theologian admits. It is now agreed, generally, that the quartodecimans were keeping the Passover according to the custom of the apostolic church. But eventually, these quartodecimans, as they were derisively called, became a marginal minority. In other words, so uh, such a tiny minority that they were more or less um, unnoticed. Now, following the Council of Nicaea, Constantine, Constantine issued an edict against heretics, as he called them, forbidding them to assemble at any place whatsoever and authorizing the confiscation of their property. Now, quartodecimans were not specifically mentioned as targets of this edict, but they would have been included in the general under the general designation of, quote, heretics. And this status was confirmed and reinforced by the Synod of Antioch in 341 A.D. with the following words, quote, Whoever shall presume to set aside the decree of the Holy and Great Synod, which was assembled at Nice in the presence of the pious Emperor Constantine, beloved of God, concerning the Holy and Salutary Feast of Easter, if they shall obstinately persist in opposing what was then rightly ordained, let them be excommunicated and cast out of the church. So anyone keeping the Passover in the 14th of Nisan now was to be excommunicated and kicked out of the church. From that point on, it became not only unfashionable, but difficult and dangerous to observe the Passover on the 14th as it was supposed to be observed. And in the early 5th century, there were among those who disliked John Chrysostom, some who felt when he was deposed from his office as Archbishop of Constantinople that it was deserved, quote, because of the violence he had exercised in Asia and Lydia in depriving the Novatians and the Quartodecimans of many of their churches. That actually had nothing to do with him being kicked out of his office, but, but uh, he had exerted great violence in destroying the churches of the Quartodecimans in Asia and Lydia. Later in the same century, when Nestorius acceded to the bishopric of Constantinople, he declared to the emperor, quote, Give me, my prince, the earth purged of heretics, and I will give you heaven as a recompense. Assist me in destroying heretics, and I will assist you in vanquishing the Persians, end quote. And as a consequence, Socrates Scholasticus remarks, quote, with what calamities he visited the quartodecimans throughout Asia, Lydia, and Caria, I think proper to pass by in silence. 
end quote. So this was in the fifth century, a couple of centuries later, the leader of a remnant of the true church called Paulicians, a man named Constantine of Mananelli was stoned to death. And a short time later, his successor Simeon and many of his followers were thrown on a pyre and burned alive. They had been falsely accused by their enemies of being Manichaeans, which is a dualistic Gnostic heresy. But the early Paulicians kept the Passover on the 14th of Nisan. They rejected idolatry and other unscriptural teachings and practices that had become common in the great professing church. The so-called orthodox emperors of the second uh, uh, emperors of this period in the late first millennium decreed death to anyone labeled as a heretic. Any heretics were to be put to death. Anyone who gave them a place to hide was also to be put to death and their books were to be burned. In the ninth century, according to Isaac Milner in the history of the Christian church, Theodora, the empress, Theodora, quote, exerted herself beyond any of her predecessors against them, that is the Paulicians, who kept the Passover on the 14th. Her inquisitors ransacked the Lesser Asia in search of these sectaries, and she is computed to have killed by the gibbet, by fire and by sword, 100,000 persons. So here they were hunting down people who were keeping the Passover on the 14th throughout Asia Minor, at least, perhaps other areas, but especially Asia Minor, and murdering them by, uh, uh, by the thousands. This one empress is said to have murdered 100,000 of these people who were uh, who were uh, 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 professing Christians and who were keeping the Passover on the 14th. These persecutions, these systematic persecutions destroyed the populations of the faithful practitioners of apostolic Christianity in areas where they had flourished for hundreds of years, especially in Asia Minor. The Catholic historian Hefela wrote that by the 8th century, quote, the quarter decimants had gradually disappeared. In reality, however, as other sources tell us, and as Jesus Christ had said would happen, the remnant of the Church of God had fled into the wilderness areas of parts of Europe and Asia where it continued to keep the New Covenant Passover on the 14th of Nisan through the long night of persecution, which continued more or less unabated until about the 17th century or later. It tells us in Revelation 12, verse 6, this is a prophecy of what would happen and what did happen. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. 
And that's how long this persecution against the church raged with wholesale murder against people who were doing things like keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath and the Passover on the 14th. So what we have is professing Christians murdering other professing Christians for the offense of keeping the Passover in accordance with the command and example of God's word. Instead of the decree of a pagan Roman emperor. That's why they were being murdered. Because they largely because they kept the Passover and the Sabbath as well. We read in Revelation 17, beginning with verse 1. Revelation 17, verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, uh, saying to me, this is John writing, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Remember what the bishop said to the emperor and how the empress was directing these persecutions? With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. By the way, fornication is often used in the Bible as a metaphor for spiritual infidelity, for idolatry, unfaithfulness to the word of God. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. As I mentioned, the Passover is only one example of how biblical doctrines and practices were systematically undermined and replaced by traditions and commandments of men in the few centuries following the New Testament era. Even by the early second century, church authority replaced the authority of the Word of God for the majority of people professing to be Christians. Yet even today, there are still tens of thousands scattered around the world to keep the New Covenant Passover on the 14th of Nisan, following the command and example of Jesus Christ, rejecting the apostate, popular, heathenized, false Christianity which teaches for doctrine 
the commandments of men. 